Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Telford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Telford. Hello, Josh Brown. Let's run down September's video games. Uh, by the time, I was just by the time people listen to this, but this is going out immediately. We're not waiting until the end of the month. No. My brain tries what? to comprehend the fact that we've done a podcast this morning. Yes. More podcasts later in the week, a podcast right now. The issue is, it is the end of the month. This is going to go out on the September the 30th, and by the time Friday comes around, yes. it's going to be September, no, no, August 30th, <laughs> by the time Friday comes around, it's going to be September 1st, Scott Tilford. How, why, how is it September in like I a week? I don't know. How is Starfield out next Friday, oh. man? What's that about? And, it's not even... and I've just spoiled one of the games there. <laughs> I don't know if you know about Starfield, that's coming out next week. It's not even just that either but yeah point being that at the end of each month we like to get together and run down the coming games for the following month which is to say that september is just about as rammed as uh, august has been and we'll just run some stuff down there's a lot to get to the 6th of september so next week or so is Baldur's gate 3 on playstation 5 and starfield over on xbox systems which one are you playing first starfield man are you starfield every time <laughs> the thing about starfield is is that's my most anticipated game of the year. <laughs> I could oh. leave it there. But I am so excited about what they have shown, mm. even though I have kept away from a lot of the trailers, especially most recently. Mm -hmm. But you know when you just get a buzz because other people are buzzed? Like, yes. I was already excited for Starfield. But seeing more people get converted over to its side after they have shown off more mm. and peeled back those curtains... Just getting that secondhand um, excitement mm -hmm. has been enough for me to cement it. And I was reading this morning on uh, Insider Gaming, they had a report up saying that it's the most stable Bethesda game yet. I saw that, yeah. Which makes me obviously very excited because the main issue with Bethesda games in the past were the bugs and the amount of glitches at launch including Fallout 76, which mm. was obviously killed by bugs and glitches at launch. <laughs> so to have a stable Bethesda game, mm. uh, to have those anxieties alleviated, I'm pretty confident in the game design itself. I am, of course, still interested in how they're going to tackle the 1,000 planets gimmick. Will that be satisfying, uh, or will it be too broad for its own good? I don't know, but mm -hmm. I'm eager mm -hmm. to find out. Yeah, my thing with Starfield is that initially, and it's because of Bethesda's history, I just wasn't bothered. I, I mean, I, I, was, I was bothered because it's a new IP from Bethesda, but I didn't trust them. My last game that I like from Bethesda was Skyrim. 
um, and that was 12 or 13, whatever it was years ago. I don't know time anymore, but it was a while ago. And so it was one of those things where I wanted to see what they were going to do. And when the gameplay leaked the other week, which I know that guy's been arrested now, which is like quasi hilarious. Is that right? I have yeah, not yeah, seen yeah. the update. On that. He just uh, he put out like a forty-five. <laughs> he put out a video. I feel like we should know his name because we need to pay respects to the man. But he put put a video. It was like a forty-five-minute video, just playing through it. Just his camera looked like it was on his lap as he was playing, just with a TV in front of him. Uh, he was like, "Here's Starfield, just playing it." Lol, I've got a hold of it somehow. And um, playing through this game, obviously everybody went, "That's kind of crazy." You probably shouldn't have that. Yeah. And then he proceeded to do a full. <laughs> faced camera reveal review Unreal. where he just talked about how good it was and like he's like smoking like a blunt or whatever during what? the whole thing. <laughs> I missed all this. Yeah. People were saying on screen uh, his game attack was on there so immediately oh. uh, anyone who needed to know who he was all the uh, Xbox could track him down on Xbox Live they know his address and um, he was immediately arrested um, so just that guy you know not all heroes wear capes. Extremely but. chaotic energy to yeah. all of that. I've, just I remember seeing, you know, I didn't watch any of it myself, but um, every single day I was checking the um, Reddit gaming leaks and rumors mm. um, thread. And it was just like, new Starfield details, new Starfield <laughs> details, new Starfield details. He's been streaming again. He's yeah. doing it again. Thing is, I will say, though, that that guy provided a very good service of just showing us what launch day code's going to look like. I right. mean, maybe there will be a day one patch or whatever, but it did take, and it's such an indictment on the, <laughs> the way the gameplay has been rolled out for this, that it wasn't until I saw that dude's footage that I actually went, oh, okay, this actually looks great. Right. Because then it actually did convince me that it was bug-free or relatively bug-free and I got to see the new third-person shooting mechanics, how far along the dialogue and the facial animations have come since those early years when we first saw it when it just did look like another Bethesda game. Now it does look like a meaningful step up, like it can be an Xbox first party or whatever. So I'm just mentioning all that because that that, that dude's footage was the thing that convinced me. It wasn't anything official. Yeah. It wasn't anything that they've put out. Um, and I think that the overall approach to this is to hedge bets and wait until you, know, you can get it in front of everybody en masse and let that um, conversation drive sales or whatever, or drive Game Pass subscriptions, etc. But yeah, it's one of those things that's worth saying that it has come a long way. Like yeah. unless everyone's lying and all the footage is faked, it should be the strongest Bethesda launch ever. Maybe I'm fascinated by this game because ever since I've worked with you, mm. um, I think you have, like you mentioned, there been of the opinion that Bethesda isn't what they used to be. They've been letting you down, like you mentioned. Yeah, and I've always... this is the second one of them. They've been yes. letting me down. I think. Like, that, I think that's not made a game, correct me if I'm wrong, that yes. you've enjoyed in like 14 years. No, I think they are traditional to a fault. I think they've yeah. got a whole garage band approach and I respect them for it, but they need to get with the times and actually polish things and not just right. not just give us a, t- a toolbox that's all, and ask the fans to put it together for them. I've been always of the opinion and I've been in the trenches with Bethesda, you know I was I loved them, <laughs> I loved Fallout 3, I loved all the Elder Scrolls games that I've played, mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. really, really enjoyed their games and obviously when Fallout 76 came out a lot of people were saying, this is the end of them, like they're going in the wrong direction <laughs> Um, Fallout 4, to some people, was very mid. You know, they Mm. weren't doing it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, no, I need one more stinker before I can, you know, declare them. They they haven't done bad by me so far. Fallout 76 was an experiment. It wasn't for me, but I still really enjoyed Fallout 4. So they've never really put a foot wrong Mm, in terms of their big single-player games. Mm So... With that in mind, I'm really hoping that this does not um, let me down and not kind of tarnish the years I've spent defending their brand, (laughs) even though I didn't have to because they're a multi-million dollar, if not billion dollar company. Mm. Um, But what I'm intrigued by is the depth of role-playing possibilities Mm. in Starfield because while I like Bethesda games, I've never gone to them for complex choices, if that makes Ah, sense. They've had interesting choices in games, 
Mm. But I think, and I'm not the first person to say this, I think H. Bomber Guy did a really good um, kind of dissection on why the moral choices in Fallout 3 weren't all that necessarily. Yeah, you yeah. know, they were quite binary. They weren't all that interesting. Unlike something like Fallout New Vegas, which does have more interesting possibilities, you know, deals in more shades of grey. The point being is, with Starfield not having a voice protagonist and mm. kind of going back to more options and how you can respond to conversations and whatnot, will we get those interesting choices that have kind of become normalised in an era of the Witcher 3s and whatnot, mm. where it's not just, do you want to nuke this town or do you not want to nuke the town? <laughs> I feel like the, the nuke choice always stood out because of the sheer scale of it. So I wonder if they have a, do you nuke the planet in this one? Do you remove <laughs> one of the planets entirely or something? Yeah, there's like a, there's a specific strand of like Bethesda humor that has been lacking. Like only they really do it and it involves the, the choices they give you, the NPC quests or whatever. But like, yeah, man, they've been out of the limelight for so, so long. And um, like even Fallout 4, as, as big as that release was, still like for me, it didn't feel anywhere near as big as Skyrim. Like Skyrim right. felt like the whole world stopped for a bit. Like it right. was like, it just felt like Skyrim was everywhere. And it's like Fallout 4 was big for gamers, but Skyrim was like this huge entity that yeah. it was just like, everyone was talking about Skyrim. Um, at the time, and I, Starfield kind of feels like that. Like nearly all of us um, in the office have talked about one of our non-gamer friends who's messaged asking about Starfield. Do, is this what I get on Xbox? Is this what I do? And I forget the name of the um, the PR person on Xbox's side that referred to Starfield as the starting gun of their exclusives yeah. or the generation. And it's like, well, it's been a long time coming. Like you're three years in, so maybe this actually is the beginning of the the wave of exclusives. And Spencer's the Phil Spencer's the guy out there saying that they want to do four exclusives a year now, um, which they used to have two a year, which they they didn't even stick to. So I I don't even know if they can stick to that at all. I'm trying maybe. and failing to not get ahead of myself, but right. I really hope this is the start. <laughs> I really hope it is good. I really hope it is like the proof in the pudding for mm -hmm. the Xbox series of consoles and why you need to own one of those machines. And I really hope that the friend I've told to buy a Series X for <laughs> it will not be disappointed by this and whatever else Microsoft yeah. has to offer. That said, Scott Tilford, I, I will say there is a drawback to Starfield releasing right now, and that's that it's going to stop me, one, from playing Baldur's Gate 3, yep. but two, from playing No Man's Sky on the PSVR 2. You were never going to play No I Man's was. Sky. And I'll tell you my relationship <laughs> with this, okay? <laughs> no Man's Sky dropped on PSVR 2 as a launch game back in February or March or whenever the hell I bought right. that machine. And I thought, now is the perfect time to jump in. It wasn't, because all the reviews said this could be better. The graphical fidelity is not it. Wait for an update. Just play it normally. I waited for an update. The update arrived. It wasn't that good. It didn't implement, to my knowledge, foveated rendering, which right. would have dramatically increased like the fidelity on display. That update dropped last week. Well, it's no good to me now. I can't play it now. Two weeks before Starfield, where I'm going to do very Just similar things. sack off Armored Core and get <sighs> on No Man's Sky. But uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I can't. I, you know how you sort of um, ate too much Dead Space Pie by going through <laughs> Dead Space 2 and 3 before going into yes. the remake? Yes. I'm scared I'll do that, and I don't want to do it. I tell you what, though. I've had about 400 hours of Final Fantasy Pie, and I'm about to jump into Sea of Stars, if not Final Fantasy X again. Sometimes True. the pie is just that good. Sometimes the pie is that good. The From Software pie is that good. It's a very tasty pie. Um, speaking of, I wanted to mention the Xbox series of yeah, Xbox series of systems, which is the Series S and the Series X, and the whole contractual thing that Xbox has people signing over, where they can't release a game on the Series X if it's not on the Series S. That's why Baldur's Gate is an exclusive to PlayStation 5 for now. That clause seems to have been broken for Baldur's Gate. It doesn't mean that um, Baldur's Gate's going to be arriving on Series X 
you know, in, in line with the PlayStation 5 on September 6th. But apparently they've reached some agreement with Larian where they are going to have Baldur's Gate 3 on Series X sooner and they're going to work on the Series S version later. Apparently the whole thing with that game not releasing is that it revolves around getting split-screen co-op working on the uh, the console versions and it does work on PlayStation 5, which is why it's out on the 6th of September. I mentioned that there was a wider thing because it potentially points to the separation of the Series S and the Series X. Like I, ju- I mean, I've, I've talked about this so much, but I just want them to focus on the Series X. Like If you can make a Series S version, cool. That's your PlayStation 4 version of that game. Just like, target the, the high-end stuff, have fun, build the big things, and let us enjoy the new uh, generation of consoles. And if you can if you can make it work for the wider system, fine. I think the way they've approached this is very telling because the last time we reported on this, it was Phil Spencer saying, like, look, yeah, we want games to be running on mm. the S as well as the X, but there are already differences. You know, mm-hmm. there are already differences in frame rates and resolutions. And that now seems to be going down to features in particular. You know, we're going to get a Series S version of mm. Baldur's Gate, but it's not going to have that co-op element, that split-screen co-op I thought element. it was, but they were delayed laying it until they got it right. Ah, well, the last report I read was that it was going to uh, release, but it was going to just not have that oh, feature on okay. Series S. I think that's what was either way correct. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe I, think you're probably, I think you're probably right. I think it's the, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, either way, there's the idea of a Series X and S not being feature perfect yes. is the overall thing that you're still getting it. Um, you're still getting a version of it on Xbox. Absolutely. And to be honest, I think this is the right move. I think this is the right precedent to set mm. where, you know, you do get a version of the game, but you're not guaranteed to have that kind of feature parity, mm. just is in the same way that you're not guaranteed to have feature parity if you play a PlayStation 4 version of a game compared to a PlayStation 5 version mm. of a game, you know, in terms of the amount of game modes and a Call of Duty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good way for them to get around it. It might annoy a lot of Series S owners. I can totally <laughs> see that, especially if they were sold on a feature that's now not going to be there. That's true. But it's a good way, I think, to get at least a version of the game running on hardware that might be uh, too underpowered to deliver that vision or whatever. Or they might not mm. have the time to kind of sink into it because as we established last week, like developing for all those systems is really difficult, especially well, when just, you have to take into account all the power disparities. Yeah, and like, it is actually, we said before, like, and it's true, like it is insane that you just accidentally gave Sony the exclusives. Like, you know, you, you gave them an exclusive that is one of the best games of the year. Currently the, the highest rated Metacritic game of the year. But yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 on the same day as Starfield 6th of September. Baldur's Gate is what I'm going to play first. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to stick with it in terms of wanting to then try a bit of Starfield. Um, I wanted to do, I wanted to kind of do the prologues of both and then mm. see which hooks me more and then go with that. But I'm way more curious in Baldur's Gate's case how it runs on console. And I don't mean runs uh, performance-wise, I mean literally the UI. How have they made this incredibly mouse and keyboard-looking UI work on a controller? Yeah. Does that feel weird? Um, and, and how, because the amount of options you have, the amount of right-click and then do this type stuff that I just, I don't know if we're going to have a weird hovering mouse cursor UI. Maybe. I don't know how, how they're going to do it. Um, and I, I don't think, as far as I know, they've not shown that much of the console version off. So I wonder if the uh, console UI and the menus and stuff are, are a bit more custom towards console gamers, because I think that'll be the thing that gets in the way. Definitely. Like, obviously, this game is, like I said, incredibly well-reviewed, and everyone's looking forward to it and whatever, but if it's up against Starfield and something like Starfield, Starfield is just geared more towards console um, usability, then I can see that being a, a reason that console owners en masse just go, like, it's not even remotely for us. Right, We yeah, get yeah. that it's a huge deal for the PC crowd, but it doesn't 
it barely works for me. I'm not going to go through all these menus and everything else. So I just, I'm just curious. Like Football Manager was never a big thing on console. No, and it's just, no. You know, The Sims a, wasn't either. Yeah, really. exactly. And it's like some behemoth franchises or well-received things just don't have the audience on console. And I'm just, part of me thinks that might happen with Baldur's, depending yeah. on how much it's actually um, geared towards that stuff. That's it. You know, sadly, as a console gamer who doesn't get to experience these things, just mm. some interfaces just work better on PC. Like yeah. RTS games are just so much better if mm-hmm. you play them with a mouse and keyboard and stuff. Totally. And it's a shame because I like, I always get excited for these games and when they, I'm not saying this won't be, but in the past I've been burnt where that control scheme hasn't been optimized mm. for, a, for a console. You just feel generally that you're getting like a downgraded version of what PC players are yeah. loving and enjoying and I hope this isn't the case. Um, but like you said, we haven't seen too much footage, I don't think, so I don't far. think so. I think, yeah, I think most of it that, ha- that has been shown off is the PC version obviously running with various controllers plugged in so it still simulates the buttons you would get on an Xbox or something. But yeah, I'm just curious what that is. Baldur's Gate 3, obviously a huge deal this year. Kind of didn't necessarily come out of nowhere, but the amount of success it's seen, I think, is very noticeable or notable. And then the fact that it's just right up against Starfield is kind of hilarious. And the next thing I got down is on the 7th of September is Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. What is this? This is... <laughs> they don't even know. The Square. This is another thing where when uh, Square Enix showed off Ever Crisis uh, through the trailer, they literally said, another chance for a remake. So <laughs> what they are doing with this is remaking the original Final Fantasy VII on the PS1 uh, in terms of the camera angles, the general sort of look of it, obviously upgrading the character models and everything, throwing in a whole bunch of gacha and loot systems so that you can pay to swap out characters in those various scenarios and retelling the, ori- the Final Fantasy VII story across Final Fantasy VII, uh, the PS1, the original one, um, across Crisis Core and across, I think they're including Dirge of Cerberus stuff, which was Vincent's spin-off thing. Yeah. Um, but all done through this new sort of camera angle gacha mechanic thing where they kind of take the gameplay from the Final Fantasy VII remake where it plays more like an action game but then it's like a turn-based version of that and you can like I said you can pay through loads of stuff all the characters have loads of different skins it's just this weird thing where uh, the, the thing that they're trying to hang it on is that they're doing an actual canon extension of Sephiroth they're doing a thing of what was he like when he was younger okay. let's actually show you what young Sephiroth is like which I personally don't want to see part of the best thing about that character is that he's, he's mysterious you don't, you don't want to know everything about him um, when he's got short hair he's got long hair I don't want to have <laughs> short hair um, but yeah it's one of those things where they have they have a new story chapter to try and legitimize the whole thing the vast majority of it, though, just feels like Square Enix going like, we can gacha the living F out of this thing yeah. because it's Final Fantasy VII fandom. And if we haven't milked you enough already, we're going to squeeze even harder. That's it. I, it's crazy how many Final Fantasy VII specifically spin-offs there are and oh, yeah. how many just attempts to milk that um, <laughs> sub-franchise at this point there is. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge fan of the, the remake and I'm looking forward to Rebirth mm-hmm. as well. But there are so many Final Fantasy VII games that I'm just like... They come and go, and I have no idea that they've released when I'm getting news that they've shut down. <laughs> well, this thing as well. That's the thing. They had the Final Fantasy VII, the Battle Royale first soldier, um, which was in canon, because everything's meant to be canon. In canon was the way that they were deciding which um, like soldiers could become part of Soldier, the old caps lock version of Soldier that's in Final Fantasy VII. Um, but yeah, Ever Crisis uh, is only on phones for now, uh, or will be on phones on the 7th of um, September. But it's just weird. Square Enix had this whole thing where they sort of experiment with... Um, like uh, it's like a, abusive approaches to game design. There was a legendarily terrible Final Fantasy called Brave Exvius, um, where you just would pay to like re-roll different um, slot machines to get different characters to beat different bosses. But it was entirely money based. It was just this horrible thing. How much can we leech your love of this IP? 
um, to get through it, and it got absolutely panned, and rightly so, etc. Um, and it's just that weird thing where they put the pixel remasters out on phones first, they put the um, the remakes of Final Fantasy 4 and 5 on there first, um, and now they're doing Ever Crisis, which in theory, like I said, has the Sephiroth story pack to it, so that wider audience would probably want to see that somehow, but... I think they think they can get away with all the wider loot box stuff in a mobile yeah. context because that, that audience won't hate and complain and get loud about it as much. It's kind of a smart and genius and evil move <laughs> because you release it on phones and then you establish it as a mobile game. Mm-hmm. And then when you do port it over to console with all of those bells and whistles, you say, well, what do you expect? It's a port of a mobile game, yes, right? Yes, yeah. And if you did it on consoles oh. first, people would, would kick off. But yep. because you know, you've established that precedent, it's like... Oh, yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, fair The enough. thing that's horrible as well is that when they first showed it off and they said, like, another chance for a remake and they showed the original bombing run, uh, like the camera angle, the isometric camera angle of Cloud and Barrett and whatever going through the nuclear reactor, like the iconic intro from, P- from the PS1, but with newer character models. And people like me went, oh, they're, do- they're doing the thing that everyone actually really wanted in the first place, which is just a, a reskin of the original in terms of the mechanics and the turn-based stuff. And then they throw in, like, oh, actually, here's, like, um, Red 13 fighting alongside Cloud at the beginning. Yeah. And say, like, well, he wasn't there. So, like, oh, but, oh, you pay the money. You can put anyone in here. Um, and they've got, like, Aerith has a whole bunch of extra costumes. And it's just it's just horrible. <laughs> but I'm going to have to know what it is because it's, no. it's just it's, I need to know what it is. I don't know how much they're charging for it. It's probably free to play and you pay with the cosmetics and stuff. Yeah, maybe. But another, bi- another bit of Final Fantasy VII <laughs> thing is coming out again. So, another yeah. bit of its soul carved off just, to be uh, cashed in. It's nuts as well because, like I said, I've played through so many Final Fantasies this year and I've just done so much general Final Fantasy reading, whether that be like making of stuff, playing through them all, like looking at different, um, you know, the artists and different inspirations for the games, the turnaround, the development time, etc. Final Fantasy VII obviously was a huge deal. It blew up. It's the biggest one by far. But it's nuts seeing them just stretch this one out so much, like overall, when they don't do that with any of the other ones. Yeah. Um, and the other ones like are as worthy in terms of being great games. But for whatever reason, Seven is just the one that it is its own little cottage franchise within Square Enix. Um, but yeah, flagging that because that thing's out on September 7th, but only on phones. So so what you're telling me is you're going to sack off Baldur's Gate, you're going to sack off Starfield, you're going to play that the day after. I'm going to... Like a sick freak, I'm going to have to play Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis on my phone oh on the way into God. work on the train, which means I'm not playing Sea of Stars. Terrible that. I just, I just, ah. Oh. I didn't know what stupid lore stuff they do with Sephiroth <laughs> because everything they've done, like, since they tried to add the stuff on, they made it worse. All the stuff with Zack and Crisis Core, it's all horrible. So we'll see. Um, 12th of September is Myth Force. Very quickly mentioning that because that's the game that a lot of people will know as the Saturday morning cartoon looking game, um, which is first person uh, action shooter. It looks like Immortals of Avium in terms of the action, I guess. Um, but the art style is very much like a Saturday, old school Saturday morning cartoons, um, old school Transformers, old school He-Man, whatever. And to mention that's when that game is out. I think a lot of people thought it was 2024 when it first got announced, but it ah. is this year. Um, next one down is the 14th of September for the Crew Motor Fest. Yeah, I'm actually really interested in this. I'm surprised you're interested. Is, is interested I am in this. too, Scott Silford. <laughs> the crew has always been one of those franchises that I've watched from afar, mm. like wondering, is it good yet? Can I jump in? Is this a sequel? Is this my entry point? Right. And I never jumped into the crew one. I never jumped into the crew two, even though I was really intrigued by their open world American mm. design. I did I just, a little bit of two. I always wondered, you know, kind of like how Fuel, I think it was, had that massive landscape. Yes. And yet, like, the actual design of it wasn't that good. It was more like the scale over mm. the substance. I always worried about that with the crew. Mm-hmm. But I'm really interested in Motor, Motor Fest, sorry, or Motor Best. Spot, because it kind of seems like it's going toe-to-toe with Forza Horizon. Right. Like, it's it's not that all 
America map anymore. It's just, I think it's a map, an island in Hawaii. So okay. it's kind of... I've stopped following it now. Right. Yeah. Well, it's this map in Hawaii. So already I'm kind of in by the smaller, mm. more focused scale. And the level of detail in terms of the graphical presentation, I also think is quite impressive. Like it's not Forza Horizon 5 mm-hmm. because this is on a previous generation consoles as well, I think. But it still looks pretty impressive, especially compared to the other crew games. And mm-hmm. I'm just, the more I see of it, the more I think I can go for Ooh. this. And I was doing a quick peruse of the Wikipedia page <laughs> earlier on, no shame, and I saw that uh, apparently it's taken, or it's been compared to um, Test Drive. I don't know if you played any of those oh games. Oh my God. But I loved the original Test Drive back in the day, so it's kind of just, you know when it's making all the right comparison points. Right. I'm like, Forza Horizon, good. Test Drive, <laughs> good. In a Hawaiian island, really good. I just, I need, I mean, I say this every sort of few days, I want to return to the arcade racing model. And I know that that's not necessarily what this is, but I want to be able to sideswipe a dude and watch them fly over the side of a road. Until I can do that again, I'm not going to invest <laughs> too much in a, in a racing game, even though I do play the Forza Horizon games. But yeah, I kind of forgot that we were getting a new crew. I, me played, too. I played Crew 2 for a little bit because it was on PlayStation Plus. Um, it's just, for me, it wasn't arcadey enough. It wasn't like, and then it wasn't sim enough either. So it was kind of like in between the two. That in between is exactly mm. what I I like, you know, I don't, I, I, I like Sims enough, you know, I quite like Gran Turismo, I will be trying Forza Motorsport at the end of the year, mm-hmm. I think it's at the end of the year, maybe next year, I can't remember, nah. um, and arcade stuff kind of died with me with Burnout, you know, right. I loved Burnout to my core, but other arcade races, never really got into, Split Second, never got into, Blur, never got into, No. never did it man, and I know people love those games, I just, I like the ones that kind of try to balance uh, both worlds mm. and give you that kind of sense of speed, that kind of accessibility in terms of the control scheme, but Mm -hmm. um, aren't so punishing that it maybe um, sacrifices some of the power fantasy you get with a Forza or a or a grid. I really love Race Driver Grid as well. I tell you what you need to get is Need for Speed Unbound from last year. Ruled. Always look at that. Always look at that. And I think maybe now, but this is what I always do with racing games. I think (laughs) maybe now, you know, that game brought back a lot of the like the stunt work that I like from my burnouts, like or or from just general arcade races where you're taking to the skies quite a lot and you can slam in the dudes and the graphic styles are awesome. Yeah. Well, here's the thing as well about yeah. this crew game. Again, yes. hyping up a game I'll probably won't buy, but we'll just <laughs> observe from afar. I also like the gimmick that the crew two introduced, where mm. you, it's not just cars. You know what I mean? It's like planes yeah. and it's boats, and I'm I I, I love that. <laughs> you know, I really do. <laughs> For me, when I saw that with the crew two, I was like, oh, it's just it's the Ubisoft every game. It's like what what models have we got left over? We had a plane from over here. We've got this from over there. Just put it all together. We have no idea. We have no idea what we're doing anymore. But we can just call this the crew two. I don't know if. It's it's going to be inspired by it, or if it's going to be similar to it at all. But what was the? I've forgotten it so much, and mm. I really enjoy the concept. And um, it's the, the Ubisoft game, but it's got like a bunch of different styles in it, where you can like snowboard, you can like skateboard, you can like BMX, you can like paraglide. Oh, Riders Republic! Riders Republic! And right. I always thought that was like such a cool. Concept. It's a cool idea. Like, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of like a similar every game gimmick, but. Um, I kind of like want that, but with vehicles. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. I mean, it's, I can, it's all born out of Mario kind of doing that thing. And then I guess uh, the Super Mario, uh, the um, Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform did it as well. And then the Lego game lets you go into boats and uh, and drive and stuff as well. Yeah, there's a way that that could work if they can nail the physics and it actually feels fun to race. Um, then that's cool. On the 19th of September is another double release. It's Lies of P and Mortal Kombat 1. You're way more in the Lies of P than me. I re- I'm completely done with Soulsy stuff for a while. I was watching um, six minutes of gameplay that was released before doing this podcast mm. and this looks like Bloodborne. It does. It always looked like Bloodborne. There's a demo. But it plays like Bloodborne <laughs> and I like Bloodborne and Sony's 
doing Ugh. nothing with that franchise, so I will take something evoking that style. What if they put the 60 FPS patch out on the day that Lies of P drops? That would be outrageous. <laughs> I need more than a 60 FPS uh, patch yeah. at, that, at this point. I need, I need that full remake slash remaster that's... Mm. You know, constantly rumored every three months. But <laughs> Lies of P, I always, uh, I, I, especially watching this gameplay, mm. I thought it looks like a mix between Bloodborne and Bioshock Infinite, like the art style mm. of Bioshock Infinite in mm. that kind of. I don't even know how you would describe it. It's like a retro. Kind of it's like, almost like a carnival look. Carnival like, look. Like Americana. Like, yeah, let's Ameri- sell you all your dreams, kid. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. That carnival is the perfect mm. word for it. Like, a lot of the enemies they were fighting in this gameplay video were um, kind of uh, toys brought to life, but like the old school yep. toys, like old school Jack in the Box, old school like wooden toys, mm-hmm. like Pinocchio or whatever. <laughs> um, and I thought that was like a really interesting because it's a nice change of pace from these sort of Souls Born gothic, dour, kind mm. of like uh, fantasy um, setting. Mm. I, I really love the setting of Infinite. I have my problems with the game, but it's it's a really immersive um, environment to be in, and mm-hmm. this kind of like looks like that. It just, like you said, it's, it's more souls, probably to a fault, but as someone who has been eating that souls pie for the past <laughs> year and is still licking his lips, licking his lips for more of the lies of P and the Lords of Fallen, you know, later on seem to be ticking those boxes. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That was my thing with Liza P where they put the demo out for it and uh, and I went from like a potential to a, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> oh no, there's, no, I can't. This is just this is just the same thing again. It's all the big enemy jumps you and it's all it kills you really far. You'll learn the patterns in the first 10 minutes. No, 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 no. I'm done. I'm done with it. I need a break from it. I think I hate it. I've done way too much of it. Yeah. And uh, I've done too many of these games in a row for almost 10 years now um, and I just need a break from it. Elden Ring was phenomenal because it broke from that and I don't, I can't go back anymore. Right. Um, and it's, 
like I mean, even playing through Blasphemous 2 at the minute, um, which is a very, very gorgeous pixel platformer take on the Soulsian genre. Um, even that game's framings and storytelling devices and, oh, the clouds did birth the heart. Shut up. I don't care. Right. I'm done. Like, just, oh, my God, get it away from me. So, yeah, that's my, my general thing with this is that it needs to be really special to stand out. Um, and for now, I am utterly avoiding Lies of P and Lords of the Fallen. Right. Because um, I need to feel the hunger for that genre again. It's funny because... And I, I don't know, if, would you describe Lies of P as a triple-A game? Or I guess no? I wouldn't if we're, go, if we're, if we're saying triple-A is Naughty Dog and Starfield. Fair level, enough. Then no. But I still think that said, it seems to be a cut above a lot of the other Souls-like games we've had. You know, yeah. for as much as I really enjoyed Mortal Shell and Thymesia, mm-hmm. like they felt more indie. They felt smaller in scale, whereas Lies of P and definitely the Lords of the Fallen like feel like they have that kind of extra edge to they it, do, that extra definitely... sense of production. And I just, mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see what they do with that kind of um, extra set of resources because mm-hmm. I quite like... Those are the games that I mentioned, but I also cut them a lot of slack because I realize where mm. like the budget is needing to be stretched or something. So I don't. I probably won't cut these games the same amount of slack. So they need mm. to be that little bit more polished. They need to be that tighter to impress me, I suppose. Yeah, and I definitely had that mentality with the first two Surge games and and the original Lord of the, uh, Lord of the Fallen, whatever the hell they call the original one. Um, where it is that thing of like, oh, like you're being quite ambitious, you're going for it. There's definitely a thing happening in gaming at the minute where the visual bar has been raised, like the likes yeah. of Forza. Um, or just various other games that are adopting Unreal 5 in general that just look gorgeous, but mechanically all the guts of them are quite simplistic. Like Fort Solace is incredibly simplistic in terms of what you're doing. Um, and I kind of thought that about Liza P once I got hands-on with it, where I was like, oh, this is just another one of them. It just looks absolutely beautiful. Um, and like, yeah, but I, I think Liza uh, P seems very like um, confident in terms of what it is, and it will be, it will scratch the bloodborne itch. It just, yeah. That's um, clearly what they're going for. Um, with a legally distinct thing in terms of all the clockwork mechanisms and all the Pinocchio stuff. Uh, Mortal Kombat 1, we did a podcast on that after the beta weekend, which I think was just last Monday, actually. Um, so you can go check that out for more in-depth thoughts in terms of getting hands-on with the game. But MK1 is my remaining most anticipated game just because of how perfectly the beta played. Um, it's the opposite of Liza P. Going hands-on yeah. with MK made me go, no, I need this. Nice. In a way that beforehand I was like, ah, maybe it's just more Mortal Kombat. It is, but in the most like streamlined, beautiful, just incredible way possible. I love that we've kind of got a few Bethesda-style branching paths out mm. of this year now. Like, I'm going to go Starfield, you're going to go Baldur's, I'm going to go Liza P, you're going to go Mortal Kombat. <laughs> you know, I quite like that we've got these little uh, pivot points yeah. in the year. But yeah, I can only echo what you said there. I've not played Mortal Kombat 1, mm-hmm. but every bit of footage that I see, I just think, that sounds sick. Everything you taught me last week on the podcast, which, yes, please check out if you haven't. <laughs> and about the cameo system, sound really cool. Probably going to be a little bit divisive, probably going to be a little bit controversial, but... Um, it's a new way to play. It's going to differentiate mm. it from MK11. And even though it's not necessarily my thing on paper, I do like that it's there. Yeah, well, initially I didn't. And then I was just like, after, after playing through it and getting used to some of, the, some of the mechanics and when you summon your cameo in and doing combos with them, it does have that light bulb moment of like, oh my God, this extends everything. Um, and it, it's just a really cool system that you can you can start putting stuff together with. And I hate how much I like the idea of, of um, doing cosmetics on two characters at once. Mm-hmm. I just hate that I want to do that. I need Sub-Zero and Frost to look cool together. I need Scorpion and Sub-Zero or whoever, or Liu Kang and um, Kung Lao to look awesome together. So I'm going to get lost in that stuff. I don't want to throw too much actual money at them in addition, but if they're doing cool skin packs, I it's going to be hard be to say no. Yeah. I hate it. I hate every bit of that. Um, the next one down is the Payday 3 out on the 21st of September. Now, Payday is not my franchise at all, but it might be yours. Well, just it's not even mine. This is another one that 
I've thrown in because I'm just intrigued by it, so I won't go into too much mm. detail. Just it's another one where I keep seeing the trailers, and it's obviously being talked about for years. It's been a lot of years since mm. Payday Two, mm. and I'm just intrigued by um, it coming back at all because, it, to my knowledge, like Payday Two, towards the end of its life, didn't have that. It wasn't received all that well. I could right, be entirely right. wrong here, but I just remember like the reputation of that game and the developers kind of like, yeah, actually, like dive bombing a little bit. So mm-hmm. I feel like Payday Three has a little bit to prove, mm-hmm. and from the trailers, I just think it's a little bit fascinating. And it's one of those where I wanted to throw it on because if this drops on like a PlayStation Plus or a Game Pass or mm-hmm. something, then I will absolutely um, give it a try. Mm-hmm. This feels like a almost like a Dead by Daylight where it's like it's got its fan. You know that it's there. People talk about Payday quite a lot, but it hasn't broken all the way through to like. A, a Fall Guys or a whatever. It's not a go-to multiplayer experience for the masses, but it is there and it has its fans. Like a cool classic multiplayer. It's always one where the my friends that I play PlayStation with, they'll always say, should we get paid here? We right. never do, but I'm waiting for it to break <laughs> through to the point where we have to go like, Oh my god, that is a must play mm. now, you know. Because well, we, I always loved like just to, just to, as a comparison, I loved the bank heist mode in Kane and Lynch. Yeah, but it's like I only played that like once because that game just died, and yeah. it was like, well, that was such a cool idea, and the idea of not knowing who you're going to screw over, so you get to make out with more money or whatever, is such a cool idea. Yeah, man. And I get the payday is that idea made into a whole game, but it never blew up as much as uh, anything else. After loving um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the game, mm. I'm just really into these kind of um, dedicated multiplayer experiences now. I was so buzzing that Killing Floor 3 was announced at <laughs> Gamescom. Right. Because Killing Floor 2, I absolutely love jumping on that with friends. Uh, so I don't think I know what that game is. Killing I know Killing Floor by Blackstone Cherry. That's a song. <laughs> it's like, as much as I can do. It's a, yeah, like a co-op zombie shooter, like hard uh, sort of gimmick. Oh, Let's talk about Cyberpunk 2077 dropping September 26th, my friend. This is sick, right? <laughs> this is so <laughs> sick of CDPR to do this to me personally because there are so many games coming out this year. Yeah. There's, so many, there's so many RPGs coming out this year <sighs> and they have the audacity to not only drop what looks like an absolute stunning expansion, uh-huh. but also the retooling of the original game because it not only makes me want to play this DLC, Scott, it makes me want to go back through the entire thing again <laughs> and re-experience it. It's, uh, I hate that that is so high up my list now. It's like, uh, I love Cyberpunk. I've always loved Cyberpunk. You can go back to all the footage, all the coverage that we did when that game first dropped. I've always loved this game. I get, obviously, the problems with it. There was a whole thing that it crashed every 20 minutes on PlayStation 5. I get it. It, was, it wasn't what they said it was going to be. It always needed retooling, but I always love, I love CDPR's writing, so I'm always going to be there for that. I love the world itself. I think it's one of the best cities, best depictions of nightlife and city life in gaming history. I love the whole message of Cyberpunk's story as well, about actually you, you want to disconnect from that because that's one of the worst things you can get lost in. You'll lose yourself to it. It's great. And so it's one of those things where now that they're doing all this stuff and they're making a point of going, this is like the, the next massive expansion. We've got Phantom Liberty, which is the next story bit, but we've also overhauled everything else. And it's, oh, thank the Lord that they're they're doing this for free because this is pretty much Cyberpunk 2. Like if you any other company would have just slapped a number on this for the amount that they've overhauled it. Um, and it's also another thing where you can't escape the fact that they did do all that stuff, that they did give us the in-progress version of it. Yeah. And there's all the behind-the-scenes reports saying that they needed another couple of years in development anyway um, to get to the you know the design goals that they were trying to implement in the first place. It was just released too early. Doesn't mean you can't have fun with the version that dropped in 2020 like I did or we did, um, but it's just that weird double-think thing where it's like, okay, I guess this is the one that we should be excited for because yeah. this is actually the one that's closer to all the original trailers with the police chasers and all the cyber mods and hacking your own face 
and putting cameras in it or whatever it is. But it's just it's just the weirdest release. Like I want to, I'm going to try it. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to start another save. I've always had one playthrough left, one life path that I didn't pick. It was Nomad. I want to do that again. Um, but it's just. I can't be like that excited about it because right. it's just it almost neutralizes itself. It gets in its mean. own way. Yeah, I think you know. It's, I think it's going to be very subjective, very person by person um, regarding how they feel about the game. But for instance, when they dropped the official next gen mm. releases, and I know you went back in and dabbled a little bit, yes. and you were asking me, "Are you going to go back in?" And at that point, it was too soon. I was still right. too, frankly, pissed <laughs> off at them because I thought, well. I should have waited. I should have played this version. And like mm. you, I love the original game in spite of all of its flaws. Yeah. Again, go back to those podcasts where we talk about how much we love the writing, how mm-hmm. much we loved it in spite of it crashing <laughs> every 30 minutes. But again, it's kind of a paradox because I was still pissed off. It still wasn't the game they yeah. um, released. I was still annoyed that the game was crashing as much as it was and mm. it had all of these bugs and glitches. But now, for me personally, I am far enough away from that mm. to think about giving it a try from the beginning because it has changed so much. You've had those next-gen upgrades. You've had this total overhaul, mm. and now you've had the DLC, you know, three years removed by the time this thing comes out. Mm. I'm kind of at peace with it. I'm, I'm ready to kind of like accept it <laughs> and move on as someone who, um, you know, is really been rooting for Battlefield 2042 from day one and right. has a similar relationship with that game where I really enjoyed it at launch but could recognize mm. that it had all of these missed opportunities, that all of these broken promises, and now that similarly got to a good state. It's like, right, I'm finally there with Cyberpunk where I'm back on the journey with you. I'm right. not, I didn't jump in and jump off. I'm back on, like, for the Yeah, my thing was, like, I left it installed for ages because, obviously, they patched it. They, they would patch it a lot anyway, and then they took a break, and then they put the, like you said, the next-gen version out, which was mainly just main it was like a playstation 5 version of the game and then you could port your save over um, and it ran a lot better the frame rate was better and whatever and I, and then I, w- I then i started another new character and i started running around as them um, but I was always waiting to do like a proper playthrough on Nomad once they did the overhaul stuff. And so it was, I'm, I've always been waiting for this to go again. But at the same time, you can't do a proper playthrough the first time again. Like, mm. you, know, you can't, like, you know, we've done the main beats of the story. We can't, me and you know what happens. We've been through the Johnny Silverhand stuff. I'm not going to spoil things here. Yeah. Obviously, it involves him. Um, but we've done that thing, those things. And unless they've added more pivot points and more ways of going through that main story, at some point, I think I'm just going to drop off because I've done that main thread. Mainly the yeah. life path only affects the first like half an hour unless they've really changed it. I No, I totally get that. I think that's going to be another sort of personal thing because mm. maybe I have, I don't know, maybe I have more of a stomach for replaying games than you, mm. I don't know. But I, I used to always be a kind of purist in thinking this first viewing of a movie, this first playthrough of a game needs right, to be right. perfect mm-hmm. because I'm only going to get to do it once but since then and since I've like started to re-embrace replaying things like my second playthrough of The Witcher 3 was better than the first right. the second playthrough of Death Stranding was better than the first you know Red Dead Redemption mm. Last of Us 2 the list goes on I've kind of unlocked something in my brain where <laughs> you know sometimes the second time through is better than the oh, first oh no I, uh, I also back that too right. I, I do whenever I do stick with something to go back through it again I do I mean Final Fantasy 7 I've been through that so many times and I absolutely love it it's just that like because that first playthrough was so good right like i did love my time with cyberpunk so so much um that it's it's just a it's gonna be weird looking at how much they've bolted on what have they kept what have they lost have they rewritten any bits of it what characters have they added how impactful is idris elba's character now that he's like the main extension of the um the main story or whatever it is for that dlc and um, because you can't access that from the start apparently that's like some point in the story where it right. deviates off and you go and do something else 
Um, it's just kind of fascinating the way that it's all rolled out. My my personal ultimate bottom line is that I love cyberpunk fiction and CDPR, so I am all in on this, like in every possible way. And I just want to get lost in it again. I just worry that you almost can't because the mm. drive to see what's next is to some degree going to be neutralized because I know what's next. I know what the actual story is. Right. And I, I know there are branching paths, there are different endings, but the, the bulk of that game in the middle is the same. Um, yeah. As far as I know, it's only the opening and the very end that like fractures out. So I'm just curious. They've added so many play styles that I think actually just interacting with it will feel so much better. Um, and deflecting bullets with your sword is like awesome and things like that. So I'm just uh, just a weird rollout of a game where three years later, we've got this other sort of like quasi sequel version of it. And it's weird the way that they're advertising it on the trailers because they're just listing all the stuff that was missing. Yeah. Um, just, we've added car chases. We've added all these things that recognize all these different paths that you asked for. And I'm like, is this what the game was always going to be? Or is this you reacting to what it was? Have you no man skied it, or That's is this it. what you were always going to do? You know what? And like again, you know, if you don't think you should give the developers props for this, fair enough. Yep. If you'd spent like uh, the the collector's edition price in this game back at launch, <laughs> and you know, got burnt, one hundred percent, totally respect that. But you know, like games like No Man's Sky, a champion today, because the developers were given that opportunity yep. to opportunity to put in the work and make it something special and mm. I think I'm just glad to sort of see them do that with Cyberpunk because they could have just cut and run and done Cyberpunk 2 right they could have just done Anthem 2.0 and said this isn't worth our time mm. the, 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 the the brand is tarnished but they've done a No Man's Sky or truly done a No Man's Sky I mean the, the Phantom Liberty might come out and it might be crap but I, I hope <laughs> it's not I hope it's not well the, I quite like the way they've split it where they've sort of got uh, Phantom Liberty is a premium DLC it has a price tag I forget how much it is but it has a price tag and then, but the base game of Cyberpunk is being overhauled regardless. Like, if you have an internet connection and you try and play, it will ask you to install all the new stuff. Um, so you get all the uh, gameplay. You get the new game. Like, it's just that you don't get the deal, the, the story stuff. You don't get the DLC. Um, but you get everything else. It's just a weird thing in gaming history because they're wiping out the original version. Like, it is being completely overhauled. And they tried to overhaul the progression uh, last time as well. They tried to change the um, the skills that you unlock and how you get them and whatever else. And now it's been simplified and overhauled even more. Yeah. And the UI looks completely different and everything else and it's just like this is just weird it's weird to delete your own history yeah and go like well this is this is what we actually meant guys well you know what man like um triple a games on the level of cdpr would never do this but it's mm. hilarious looking at the release of cyberpunk compared to boulders th- boulders gate 3 mm-hmm. obviously boulders gate 3 in early access for a long time had that kind of developmental period where it was building word of mm. mouth it was making fixes it was improving and then it dropped as the complete article got all of these accolades mm. got all of this widespread attention that I might not have otherwise get. I always wonder what cyber, what the response to Cyberpunk would have been had that original version dropped in early access. Had we experienced the game back then and gone on podcasts and gone, look, the storyline's amazing, the writing's incredible, this is a world you want to live mm. in, but it has all of these problems. <laughs> when this comes out, it's going to be incredible. And then we would have been here in 2023 mm. with it wrapping up that early access period, having fixed all this with a premium DLC yeah, rolled yeah. in and being like, this is the game. I just think that early access model is something that like AAA developers need to look into a little bit more, especially mm. when they're pushing out games as big as this and live service games that, that come always arrive lacking in content, you know? That's a really good point in terms of, yeah, because I think it's a double-edged sword. I think so many devs or publishers, it's nearly always the publishers, um, have decided to embrace the early access model model but not call it that yeah. just just give you the most what's the most 
alpha version of the game we can ship out there, kick out the door and charge you for. Um, and it's always that thing where the game's not finished yet, oh, but the storefront is. And it's just that whole thing, like we can just monetize you as soon as possible. I do agree, though, that the amount of, um, that you could use the early access model to uh, attempt various multiplayer ideas and concepts and stuff. And if something takes, then you focus development on that. Um, and maybe that would be a way to sort of game jam various ideas together, release them in the wild, see what takes, and then put the money into the one that takes off. Absolutely. I just think it's a more, I don't know, ethical is a strong word, mm. but ethical way of doing things because you can, like, you refer to it as early access. Mm. We as fans and consumers then expect a certain level of product out of that. We don't expect the finished game. You sell it at a lower price yeah. point. It allows those fans to jump in. It allows those fans to shape it, to get a taste of what's to come mm-hmm. um, without just treating them like mugs and just releasing <laughs> full price games, like you said, with the fixed storefront uh, for full price and yeah. then just being like, well, we don't care if you were excited. We don't care if you spent £200 on the collector's mm-hmm. edition. We'll fix this in two years, three years when we have a roadmap. I would map. love like a full dev breakdown of why that isn't possible because I already get I already thinking of things like if Anthem was in early access it just wouldn't have the player base like there's no reason to try it without the panache of an EA backed Bioware developed new game yeah like I, I reckon I think people would have dipped their toes and gone, eh. Well, and I... And it would have died two years before it actually died. The thing is, man, I think they have... Still would have saved the money, though. Way more of a chance, because mm. if you look at indie games that have blown up out of nowhere, you know, what's that? Um, the Forest, you know, and The Forest right. 2, which I think is in early access right now on mm-hmm. PC. And it was, like, streamed all over the globe. You know, like, huge amount of mm. interest. A lot of people jumping in. You know, all of the old... Uh, wasn't... Was PUBG in early access, or was it a mod for a little Ooh, bit? Ooh, PUBG was like a weird, was a mod, I think, for H1Z1, and then it blew up and yeah. became its own thing. Well, it similarly had this long tail where it like, got people mm. interested. I'm oh, sure word of mouth is powerful, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure there are a bunch of, um, you know, stories of games launching in early access that then weren't good and mm. then it did damage them overall. But I think, I don't know, imagine the amount of people who would say... Bioware's next title, early access. I'm going to jump in now, and I'm going to accept that there's not many... It's going to be improved. I mean, that is exactly kind of what happened with Baldur's Gate, and it just absolutely slapped. It's true. It's just a weird thing, because I think Baldur's is a weird anomaly because of how it was financed. And I always forget the name of the dude, but the guy that owns Larian, he has like a, he has a lot of money and put his own personal money into it to get it over the line. Because um, the original um, like release version of Baldur's got like a 7 out of 10 from IGN, and it was yeah. like, oh, it's fine, but it's nothing special and whatever. And then over a long enough time period with enough money, eventually it becomes the version that is out now. And I just have to look at that as such an anomaly. Mm. Um, I just I don't think EA would stick with it the way that Larian's personal funds did um, to get that game over the finish line. EA would be like, this isn't working, we're going to get rid of it. Oh, don't get me wrong. I fully agree. <laughs> that is why they don't do it, right? Yeah. I mean, those big publishers prioritize day one sales over anything yeah, else. So yeah. if they even get a whiff of the idea that early access might take even a percent of those sales away, <laughs> that is absolutely why they're not doing it. I just mean in like a, a utopian mm. world where they did adopt those approaches and they were understanding of the market and like were able to go. We're putting out an early access, but we actually are supporting it. You know, that because that well actually mentioning EA, it is ironic because they are doing that with Skate. Yeah, that is entirely the model they're doing with Skate, uh, and they're trying to build the community around the early access version of Skate and getting all the community feedback and what do you guys think? And then they showed uh, Christmas last year. They showed the like wireframe version of the game, and they were like, oh, "This is what this is what we've done so far." I personally don't like that. Be- well, I like the model, but I personally don't care because it's not finished. So I'm just like, I want to see the thing that's finished. He's the thing. I'm the same. Mm. Like I'm, I never jump in early access. I same. will always be the guy who waits for the f- official release. But I just think it's interesting overall, as a way to like make the. Final 
finances work. That's it. I just think overall, as a as a benefit to the industry, it is a benefit because mm. you know otherwise I am getting the early access versions of these games. Like I, ju- <laughs> I just am. Like I would I got the early access version of Cyberpunk. I got the early yeah, access yeah. version, more or less, of Jedi Survivor. You know what I mean? I'm mm. doing it anyway. So why not just tell me up front and then I'll wait and then I'll get a better version myself and then you just kind of I don't know. I just think you avoid all this controversy. No, that's true. I think it's it's one of those things where like. Which version of the game are you calling early access? Because if, if you call Jedi Survivor early access, I then wouldn't have a problem with the performance mode being all over the place. Yeah, because it would be it would be more understandable or acceptable. But I wouldn't have paid the money. They would they wouldn't have got my money. Right. I'd, I'd be waiting until you know months down the line. I mean, right now I think it's finally fixed, but it's like I'd be waiting for that long before I jumped in. And maybe that skews the optics of your marketing so much that they just mm. couldn't go anywhere near it. If every if let's say right now every game released in early access, then every bug is therefore understandable. Yeah, which makes the general word of mouth more positive. Yes. But it also makes everybody way more cautious and everybody then waits and just waits and waits and waits until it's the best version. And by then, I think it's fallen off everybody's radar anyway. I think the opposite, Mm. just because I think if you release something now like Jedi Survivor... You have the hype and you have the expectations of a full price release, and then suddenly everyone's holding off until it's fixed. And then it's right. like, when's it going to be fixed? Or oh, it's finally fixed now. Oh no, wait for two more patches. And you don't have that official re release almost that I think kind of like Cyberpunk is getting mm. now in No Man's Sky got with the expansions where you get that second swell. Mm-hmm. For me, early access remedies that because you get the early access launch, which obviously is a big deal. It comes with all those caveats that you mentioned and the kind of lowering the bar of expectations. Mm. But then you almost get like a second release when the game actually drops. (laughs) And then for me, in my brain, that then spikes interest again. Whereas Mm. you don't get that second spike, I don't think, to that extent when you just sort of fix something and say, oh, it's done now. No, that's very true. And as as that direct comparison, it would work to do the actual release thing. It's just a a weird massaging of the the marketing rollout because it's almost like an extension of, for example, example, EA again, if they did, because they obviously right now have EA Originals, Immortals of Avium is their most recent one, it takes two, uh, whatever, they have that label, they could do an EA Originals game jam thing, I keep using game jam as an example, because it's various like smaller projects that get off the ground all at once, they could do an EA Originals access program where um, you have access to various games early on in development and they marketing wise don't make a big deal about it yeah and then but they then do when one of them is greenlit and all of a sudden it's shared across all the various ea games and ea um access and everything else to say this game is actually fully available now there's maybe a way to make that work i think my gut says it will put too many people off and mm. like paying it still wondering if it's ready yet or yeah. whatever and then but oh, then buying it day one when they tell you that it's ready and then it still needs to be patched and being like oh I just bought the, <laughs> the early access version anyway well this is it this is basically the assumption that when the game does launch it is complete yeah. it is like Cyberpunk now or it is Baldur's mm. Gate 3 now like I say this is a utopian version of it <laughs> this is assuming that like all of those issues are ironed out and then it's mm. like the rock solid version that you, was, that you the, would have expected if it was just a full price yeah yeah launch. I mean the the crux is that consumers don't know what they're buying. That's we're, all, we're always trying to find solutions to the fact that the industry loves selling you the wrong thing. Yeah. Like, or selling you something that isn't uh, optimum to what you thought it was going to be. Uh, final game in September is EA Sports FC 24, 29th of September. Um, I just, you chuck this in, it's a big deal. You're I loving, have. He's loving the footballs. I really am. You know, I'm getting back into football. No. You know, I'm having a nightmare with it, but I'm getting back into it. Over the past <laughs> few years, I've been getting back into club football, much okay. to my detriment, What's you that know. Mean? Well, loads of bad things are happening. <laughs> Apparently, it turns out just nightmares are going on all the time in club football. That's not the point. Okay. The point is, obviously, that has coincided with them, yeah, losing the FIFA license mm. and this being their first non-FIFA-branded title 
maybe ever. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they even did football games before they got that license. But I don't think they did. I it's another one of those games like Cyberpunk and like Starfield mm. where I just I think they need to prove themselves. Yeah. Like they probably don't. They can probably just coast on people realizing that it's FIFA and just <laughs> buying it as they do every year. But I think for the first year out at least, surely they've got to prove why well, people still need to care and why this is the game that they need to buy and not the official FIFA competitor that will probably come out like 10 years. That was the weird, there's two things to this. Like one was the head of FIFA saying that they would make their own game back when this license thing split happened where EA like didn't uh, renew the license and, it, and, and then the guy from FIFA was like, we don't even need them. We'll do our own FIFA game. That hasn't materialized at all, no. which would have been hilarious to see because apparently the head of FIFA is like this insane guy. Um, so that would have been a thing to see. The other one um, is that I do think on the trailers that are available for this, it does look like a massive step up. Yeah, you like, said this, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. And it's like, because I'm, I'm not like a huge football guy. I'll watch the World Cup. I have played FIFA over the years growing up with it. My friends always had it. I'd always have a casual game every now and then. Um, and I know, how to, I know how to play FIFA and whatever. But like with this thing, when you, because as soon as they started rolling it out, I was like, okay, I want to know what this looks like. What, is, what does a FIFA game look like where they've lost the license? Um, like you said, how much do they need to prove themselves? And I think the footage for um, FC24 looks pretty awesome like it does look like a next gen step up and I don't know if there's a I assume there's a version for previous consoles as well there mm. nearly always is um, but it just looks like a big step up it still looks like shiny people versus realistic skin textures yeah. um, but I just think that overall it just looks like it runs very very well and they need it to land yes. like this is so, like very rarely if ever in gaming has there been a brand pivot like this know, where right, yeah. um, you know like a, an IP runs like a license runs out and you need the entire audience to go look at this one I don't think that's ever happened before. It's because you've all always had it, right? Like, yeah. obviously, um, the WWE brand uh, changed publishers. That might be the last time that happened. But even then, mm. they retained the WWE license. Yeah. Like, it obviously changed, but it was still branded as WWE. I yeah. think yeah. FIFA has become so synonymous with, like, football and this series that mm. I do think it is a big thing to not have that. Totally. Especially as a really, really casual player like me who then starts thinking, you know, well, what licenses are they going to Mm-hmm. Lose. Are they going to lose anything? Like, will things not be as authentic as they were previously? Because that's why I go to FIFA. Yeah. That's why I always played FIFA and not Pez. Like, Pez, by all accounts, to anyone who played the, that franchise, mm. it played better. It was more satisfying. It was more... I remember being a pro kid. Yeah, it was more ISS rewarding. as well. But because I was playing as, you know, London Blues <laughs> and not Chelsea or whoever, <laughs> I just could never get into it because right. I fought for that level of sort of simulation. Did you know, this is such a, a specific memory, a specific time in our lives, but did you not get the newest Pro Evo and then go home and go in the customization and make it all authentic. The, I have a, I'll probably talk about this in a chat at some point. Uh. I'm surprised I'm not before, but I have a, like a core memory of getting Pez for the first time, assuming they had the licenses because you they got you the licenses assume, yeah, for a couple so. teams on the front. I think uh. it was like Barcelona and Man United or something. Uh. So I just I didn't even think that a football game wouldn't have the football <laughs> teams. And I remember the disappointment of getting home and thinking, what? Oh, no. I remember oh, having no. to get, because it was like, I think it was the Netherlands were like Oranges 11 or something. Yeah, yeah. And I remember yeah. that being held up at the time in my school as like, oh, my God, look what they haven't got. But the fact that they let you go and customize it. Like, I was a WWE fan, wrestling fan at the time, so I'm used to customizing everything. So I'd go in and fight for Newcastle United, find the stripes and put them back on. So pleased you've mentioned wrestling, because that killed wrestling games for me. What? The... um. You know, when you would, like, get you shut your mouth or here comes the pain yeah. or whatever. If I was watching wrestling at the time and I was really into a wrestler who wasn't in the game, 
that game that I was playing was immediately dead to me. <laughs> I needed the next game with them, and officially, yeah, I could make them, uh-huh. but I always knew they were, they were All like, the moves would be in there. At a point, I knew in my brain they were bootleg versions. <laughs> I knew they weren't, like, authentic. I knew they hadn't been developed. And it was the same with Pez. It's like, yeah, I could go in and rename everything and tweak it, but I knew I'd be bootlegging it, and there was just it doesn't matter. something about it. You'll that make I just, it your own. I didn't like that whatsoever. I needed it to be official, and I still kind of do. I'm not as obsessed about it as I, as I was back then, but even now, you man. You cook food versus buying food food what you, oh, come on that is not the same <laughs> do not do this to me you, you, you can it's like getting like a bootleg sort of dvd or something or a bootleg figure i, I just same movie i just know <laughs> i just know in my head i know that those aren't mcdonald's fries mom we've <laughs> <laughs> we got ice cream at home oh. uh, or ice cubes at home yeah the way that they're rolling this thing out, um, they haven't really steered into, you know, from the makers of FIFA. I have to assume the contracted, they just can't say that. I, I don't right. know if that's in the trailer, um, but I don't feel like I'm seeing that much advertised. I don't feel like I'm seeing them steer into it as much as they could, um, as opposed to just having the FC24 logo be on the homepage of the Xbox or the PlayStation Store. Um, I think there's a version of this on Switch. I could be wrong. Um, but still, I, it's just, I'm, I'm fascinated more from a marketing, like a, a gaming industry standpoint, where I'm just like, can you make the audience go across? Absolutely. That's interesting. And then have you, do, do you change anything? Do you play it safe because it's your big pivot? Or do you do something that FIFA wouldn't let you do before? I'm just so excited to keep my eye on uh, games industry base and their sales <laughs> updates to see if it dips at all. Like, mm. I'd be fascinated to see if the brand is so big that it doesn't need the brand, that mm. it will just penetrate into the mainstream and people will recognize it as FIFA and mm. they won't have to spend money on marketing to transition people over. I just, I genuinely don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah, and I, when, when it comes to like team licenses and stuff as well, all those things seem to be separated out. So you can lose the FIFA name as the umbrella term, but you can still license all the teams separately anyway. Yeah, yeah. So in theory, this is, this, it is the next FIFA. It's just the only thing that's changing is the name of the game. I want to say the only thing they lose is the World Cup. I oh, really? Maybe champ. No, Champions League is a different body. But right. yeah, I think they, I think they lose lose the World Cup, and I think they mentioned that at the start. They were like, mm. right, everything's going to be the same. The only thing you don't get is this. You know, I tell you another thing as well, which is really interesting, is that they long have said or talked about um, how much money the FIFA license costs to maintain, and it's like this astronomical, stupid figure because obviously it's one of the big. It is the biggest sport in the world. It was like a billion dollars. Yeah, or something, wasn't it? something nuts. And it was there was always a potential out, which I didn't necessarily. I didn't give them. There was always a potential out that the. Only only reason they uh, have Ultimate Team and it's so money hungry, the only reason they have an, an Ultimate Team that is so money hungry is to make enough money to make sure they can get the license for the next year, the next year, the next year. Is EA Sports FC 24 going to be a, a more consumer-friendly game? No. Nah. I don't think so either. I think I remember doing that news with you and saying at the time, <laughs> like, if they can, if they are looking at expenses and they have a billion expenses mm. and they can take that away while continuing to add two billion, <laughs> they are not gonna go, nah, you know what, we'll be all right this time. We'll take Ultimate Team out, which is, you know, Ultimate Team. It's something I've never dabbled in. Mm-hmm. Um so that is I mean, they need to address it at some point, surely, but they guess not right now. Yeah, I wanna just like that's the thing. If you can just take away your expenses to FIFA and just keep everything else Exactly, right? I I mean Imagine yeah. you're like Mr. EA and you're going to the shareholder mission and uh, uh, meetings. It's a mission for him. Yeah. yeah, it is, I. And you're looking at your graph and you're just looking at how far <laughs> that graph can go up. We could that be nicer or we could spike the living F out <laughs> yeah. of it. And it could go all the way up here. And you've got someone arguing, but what well, shouldn't we be nice to the people who like love this game? Should we not be predatory and 
our uh, aggressive monetization, and the guy's just like, the graph goes up. <laughs> the graph goes but up. The graph goes up, mate. Now. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird thing because I think um, EA right now are in a slight, I don't want to give them too much credit because they'll take advantage of it and then they'll ruin themselves again, but they're yeah. on a bit of an uptick. The EA Originals label's doing really, really well. I've loved all of the EA Originals so far. I haven't played Immortals yet, um, but It Takes Two Away Out and Unravel have all been great. Um, and that's a nice little portion of their business that's doing pretty well. Um, and it's, and you know they've got the licenses for like Black Panther and everything. It seems like they've learned from the last few years. Hope Not so. fully. No, they've but. seen what happened across the last few years. Um, and some of the moves they are doing are in a better light. But whether that holds is another thing. I similarly agree on the podcast that we did that went up on Tuesday. You know, yes. I was also saying, you know, I think they have learned from the likes of Star Wars and mm. single player Star Wars games is being one, yeah. back, you know, which gives me a little bit of hope for Bioware and uh, Dragon Age and <laughs> Mass Effect. But as we like, as you mentioned, as you alluded to, as we've seen with the year before, we've seen them like start being quote unquote good again, just to tank it when the money needs to go up. So it's always the thing. Every few years, I always refer to this as the baton of hate. Uh, the <laughs> baton of hate gets passed between different companies. Um, Ubisoft had it for the early 2010s. They give it to Konami for the end of the 2010s. Then it went to Warner Brothers for a while, um, and they've still had it. They're about to pass it on. I feel, but I don't know who to. Right. Um, and I wonder whether they end up giving it to uh, EA because it's like EA hasn't been in the spotlight. It hasn't been in the crosshairs for a while uh, and there's always if there's if there's any heat somewhere else everyone else takes advantage of that and then we all notice and go no they suck now yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the spotlight shifts over for a bit so i just it's been a, it's been a little while we're overdue a baton hate pass i just hope the uh the marvel license doesn't do it to them like <laughs> it like the star wars license mm. did where they just went like nuts <laughs> with them power it's and too possibilities much. yeah yeah all their eyes glowing as they cackle yeah. in the distance like it's, yeah. yeah they're fully uh powering up and um, but yeah so that's been september um to run those down, 6th of September is Baldur's Gate and Starfield, same day. 7th of September, Final Fantasy VII, Ever Crisis. 12th is Myth Force. 14th is The Crew Motor Force. 19th is Lies of P and Mortal Kombat 1. 21st of September is Payday 3. 26th is Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty. And the 29th is EA Sports FC 24. Football Club. Decent list, that, isn't it's it? It's not too bad, is the it? The annoying thing is we're going to have to be catching up on Oct uh, August games by the time <sighs> these start rolling around. I'm going to just sit in bed with my Switch and play Sea of Stars, and when that's done, I'll breathe and play everything else. <laughs> but until then, I'm not going to get through anything else. Um, but we'll just see. There's plenty of games this month and plenty more coming next month. But for now, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you throughout the week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.